Must be like the Wolf Pack, not like Six Pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams. It's about being in teams, it's about leading your teams, it is about making the most out of your teams however you are in them. My name is Mark Johnson, I am a performance teacher and a performance maker and uh, I am joined as always on the pod with my uh, partner in uh, not crime. We soon will be able to get back together but until we... uh, are allowed to. We are keeping our distance socially and literally. Uh, Sean Gallagher. Hello, Sean. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Not too bad at all. Uh, we are closing in on a slight easing up of some uh, lockdown shenanigans. Uh, hopefully, it means we should start being able to record the pod in person again. Yeah, looking looking forward to that. It's It's crazy when you think about the number of episodes that we we've got out and the amount that have actually been done in person yeah. i think it's like two something like that well when we yeah if we think about the anniversary of that first lockdown that first boris announcement a year ago uh and it wasn't too long after that that we decided let's just get one out uh please do go back and listen to episode 1 if you want to hear the dictionary definition of terrible sound quality and awful content <laughs> <laughs> and the development of a decent yeah, podcast from then to it now. was enough to keep us going and that is uh that is very much in line with last week's principles of first and worst and just incrementally get better <laughs> definitely uh, we have a super guest this week and we're going to jump straight into them because uh we had an amazing chat uh, with them. This is our conversation with Alex Toffolidis, who is a GB and European champion fencer. <laughs> so we are really excited to welcome on to the podcast today, uh, Alex Toffolidis. Alex is the director of Inspion Sports, which is a uh, fencing school. They offer fencing classes to uh, schools and young people in London and the South East. Uh, hello, Alex. Thank you for coming on. Hi there. Thank you very much, guys, for inviting me. I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting to you today. Alex, I've given you just the, the briefest and, and really quite... Um, limited introduction there you have done a huge amount in to get to where you are now could you for the listeners just talk us through your journey so far yes thank you very much that so my journey started in my my, for fencing when I was uh, 10 years old my mum signed me up for for a class and uh, I I used to play all sports when I was younger uh, football cricket tennis but um, I kept going with fencing uh, and I was quite lucky that Next to where I lived was um, uh, was a club where the national coach was the trainer there. And so I was lucky because of circumstance. I was able to train with him. And uh, it's a sport that I've continued to do to the age of 27 now for 17 years. Um, I was on the British team for many years. Uh, I was British and European champion in, in fencing. Um, and so I've learned so much from being... Um, an athlete and traveling the world and competing at the highest level and it's quite refreshing now with my company Inspiring Sports uh, to now be focusing on the grassroots level and kind of giving back and passing on all that knowledge that I've learned. 
Uh, there's a, I'm, I find it, I find it fascinating. And there's something you spoke about just there. And I remember reading the Malcolm Gladwell book outliers when it was, when it was top of the charts and just how important kind of that, that piece of that one piece of circumstance that when you decided that fencing was your thing, that you were in the right place at the right time to really kind of latch onto it and have the training that set you off on that path. Um, did you did you find yourself training with other people who were d- d- aiming to be elite as well? Yeah, I, I think you make a really good point that a lot of the time it's down to circumstance and having the opportunity. And I was lucky, you know, I was very keen, and you know, there was this really top national coach there, and there were and there were also a number of top fencers at the time who were successful internationally. Mm. So you could look up and see these. Uh, for example, there's one fencer called Richard Cruz, who was a world number one in uh, fencing and came fourth at the Olympic Games in Rio, and he was training there. And so I was able to to watch him and see what he was doing in his training, uh, how he was uh, then doing that in, uh, in the competition. And that was really great for me to see that pathway that I could come to this club, train with the coach, and I could reach that level as well to have that kind of role model was very important. Uh, absolutely. Um, hey, Alex. <laughs> uh, well, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, Alex. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I think um, Mark makes a really good point there and he actually took my point away from me that was in my mind. <laughs> um, and <laughs> we've, all, we've all read the book, amazing. Yeah, I think... Um, <laughs> I think I think what you are referring to there, Mark, is Matthew Syed, um, who is a well-known uh, author now as well, um, and he uh, was a table tennis player. And the exact thing happened where you know he had a t- table tennis uh, club down the road from him. And I think maybe Alex maybe has better knowledge on this than than I do, but I think there was maybe three or four uh, kind of players that ended up becoming sort of you know gb level table tennis players from this one club simply because it was down the road and they had an excellent coach and i so i can see where that aligns with your point and you know what alex is saying you know circumstance and opportunity absolutely vital 100 percent. and i think you know I, i think that's what's amazing about the team gb setup is team gb has a track record of success at all levels and in all sports and for me, the key to success, you know, you can have a really hard work and all this kind of thing, but the knowledge, the knowledge of how to be successful, you know, the processes, what, what it takes to win, but ultimately. And I think that was an amazing thing that we as fence, the fencing community uh, was not as successful as other sports like cycling and this kind of thing. But we were part of that broader Team GB and kind of one of the big things about your podcast is a team. And what our association with the whole Team GP UK Sports setup was, they were able to put in the infrastructure to give us that, that springboard for success. So, for example, in fencing, fencing is a mental and a physical sport. So, of course, like cycling, athletics, we need to be really physically fit. So strength and conditioning is important and all the physical stuff. Of course, our technical stuff is really important as well. And also our, our psychological, because it's also a mental game. So uh, I think the fact that we had that knowledge from how to win in other sports and we married that with the fencing knowledge that the coaches were bringing. We had a very successful coach in the UK called Jemek Wojciechowski, who was, he was the coach of the GB team for eight Olympic Games and produced multiple European and, and world champions. And I think we started that program and you can see the benefits of that now. So 
it's much, you know, it's not just the coach, it's also what was the structure behind it, like the team behind the team, you know. Absolutely. And there's something there's something you land on there that is, I think, part of the reason that Sean and I connected on this subject and on this is that there is a common or we've been hunting for a common mindset or a common way of winning or way of collaborating that it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter your event. It doesn't matter your activity, that there's something about collaboration that breeds success. There's something about being part of a team that helps you be the best the best version of yourself and i was interested to see how that applied in what i've always considered uh, a solo event like that when you're out when you're out there it's not three guys versus three guys it's it's you and your mind and your body and your uh tools so so that's really interesting and i think so fencing is a really interesting sport i i'd, I'd compare it to athletics where you have you have a hundred meter sprint where you know everyone's competing against each other, and then they come together for the relay, and it's a really strange dynamic because you know, I, for example, I competed for for many years for for Team GB, and I actually it was interesting. We were European champions in 2015 in team in the team event together, um, but at the same time we were competing for the individual spot to go for the Rio Olympic Games. So it's this it's this incredible thing that you that you need to be focused on yourself in order to qualify. But then when you, but then afterwards you come for the team event, we have a team event together Mm -hmm. and we must uh, fight together. And uh, so it's interesting. And this is something we'll talk about later, but I think one really important thing I've learned is that, and for life is that the most important thing for the, for a team is to have the, to have a unison on, on your goal outcomes you've got to be united you know you don't have to be the best of friends sometimes it's not you have to be in the reality sometimes you're not going to get on some ways but as long as you have your goals are aligned and you know what you want to achieve uh, then and you're on the same page on that front then you can achieve it i think yeah that's a really good point there alex and i i do want to touch on something with regards to just that elite mindset um but just before that is that something that your coaches are verbalizing to the team and to individuals around that unified goal um or is it something that you kind of have to just internally kind of work on um because you know it's one thing saying oh we're all a team but are you actually hearing that from the coach or realistically does the coach just have you know i i need these three people to go to the olympics he's playing a numbers game on who's the best one to go forward exactly you know so how, how does that kind of work well i think it's very important so for, for me, uh, it's a good point you made and i think if you have the second approach where you just focus on let's say three people it's very dangerous someone might get injured you know, and I think you see that, you hear that a lot in, uh, I you hear that a lot with uh, in the Premier League. They're talking about, you know, uh, you know, it's very important. You know, I always hear like Rio Ferdinand say, uh, it's not wasn't just important that that top eleven. It was the squad, and it's the same principle here. If you just focus in fencing, we have four people in the, in the team. But if you know, if you only focus on four people, one of them gets injured, one of them gets ill, sick. You have to rely on those members and also when you train you need to be part of a bigger team you need to have so it's very interesting we were an elite squad of 12 and only four would be in the team so and we had to have that so we train against the push each other and ultimately i think that's probably one really good thing that we actually had a team event because that's to say you know you know we are representing team gb and all of us are pushing in the same boat forward 
in order to get Team GB that like that mm. medal. So, Alex, from just from a technical point of view, um, because again, myself, uh, Mark, and our audience may not uh, be so savvy to the sport of fencing. Um, just from a technical point of view, the four teammates would have to win a certain amount um, of rounds or a certain amount of points to win overall is that is that how it w- works yeah so it's like a relay so for example in the individual event we play knockout first to 15 points so you hit your opponent 15 times you win the other one loses in a team event it's a bit like a relay uh, for example if you have swimming you know you do four times uh, 50 meters and you switch the next guy comes and so forth um so it's interesting that you play so for example you can win your leg but it's whoever gets to that 40, 45 points is the is the score and you keep switching every five. So we play first to five points. The next two come on, it's first to 10 points. So it's, you know, in the individual event, if you win yourself, you win. But here you have to win as a team. So it's very important uh, that you work together as a team and your tactics are correct and so forth. And I think it's, for me, you know, it's really interesting because I have focused so much on the elite level and, and when I will come to when I started my company, I realized that there was so much that I'd learned from my time as an elite athlete that I can really put in some really good things and things that actually I thought, okay, I want to learn and do things better. So it's uh, it was a really great experience competing at the highest level. There are so many transferable skills um, and yeah, I look back very fondly on my time uh, competing in the, in, the, in the team i'm thinking about those other eight people for a moment yeah the ones that are on the squad not on the four yeah and and their function as kind of co-trainers like when you are practicing i'm assuming you're practicing within that group of 12 yeah. do they do they ever have a responsibility to uh to fence like someone else. I'm thinking about the NFL have something called a practice squad where they go away and they, they watch all of the tape of the other guy's defenses and then they come to practice and pretend to be them. Is that is that the role of the other eight or are they just there to kind of fence their best and see if they can beat you? Well, this is interesting. I think this is where it comes down to really important management and, and clear clarity on selection and goal setting because... Um, and that's something that I like to also take into my business now is that I think that you're, you're right. It's a bit of a difficult situation because there's only four people in the team. Same thing in many sports, right? Only two, and, and many people who are training without actually being able to compete. And I think for those athletes, it's difficult. But if it's very clear, if you make these results, you can go into that team and it's clear, then I think you're more happy to accept, okay, I did these competitions. I wasn't able to make those results, and therefore I'm happy to help the team because it was it was very clear. So that's why I think cl- clarity in the selection processes and this kind of is important. Because as you said, you're correct. Sometimes the major competitions, you may say to one of the fencers, "Look, we have some German fencers coming. They fence in a specific way. We'd like you to practice like that." Now, if things have not been clear and set out, that's how things are going to be. Then you'd be a bit, oh, am I just a dummy here? But if if you understand that this is part of kind of the greater good and it's been clearly set out, then you're much happier to do that for the team. You know, I think I think um, I think Mark, that was a, re- a really great way of bringing in that that kind of uh, comparison with the NFL. Um, and <laughs> I'll do you it know, at the I, drop I, of a hat, Alex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He is a bit he of an NFL guy, Alex. NFL. 
Um, yeah. But Alex, that, that that's that's really awesome, and um, I uh, I've seen that done kind of not necessarily well. When you say about kind of like the Germans and stuff, I've seen that in rugby where the England team Eddie Jones is quite keen to kind of bring in another country, so Georgia come in uh, because they're very good at scrum scrum uh, scrummages and so they come in and they literally work with England just on that um and it kind of works for both parties and you kind of learn from it but what we speak about so many times on this podcast is communication and clarity and so I think it's really interesting that you you bring up clarity um of what's being asked from you because I think with a team if whoever's leading that team or the head coach or whoever's in charge of the organization if they are clear with their goals and their objectives, as you've, as you've mentioned, then I think it makes things a lot easier for the team to then go about their business, so to speak. Um, and, and so I'm glad to hear, glad to hear you say that. I just want to ask a quick question. Um, and it, it's less team related, to be honest, and it's more around performance. But, you know, you are a very decorated fencer. Um, you know, you've, you've won a lot. Uh, you've been in major competitions. What are some of the kind of things that you would do at the time of the event, you know, when that buzzer goes uh, and you have your opponent in front of you? Was there any kind of key things that you went into just before that moment? Because I think, you know, individual performance overall helps a team. So I do think that there is something to be learned from that kind of pressure moment. Um, yeah. and you know, you get one, you, you get one crack at it at these events, you know, you don't have another, another, you know, games in, in two days time, like footballers do. So yeah. were there any kind of specific things that you did just at the moment of performance? What you have to understand is there is a very, there, there's a big difference in intensity and pressure from training to competition. So what's the, the most, for me, a very important thing is you have to be, feeling as comfortable as possible during the competition. So I think one really important thing is routine. I think you have to, and this can be, whether that's a physical warm-up, whether that's your mental warm-up, like your technical warm-up, human beings, we like routine. It gives us security. So I think if you, you, you follow these same routines, which power you up and get you into that zone. So, for example, that could be, I mean, one thing which, uh, which I think is really important and a sport like fencing because fencing is physical but it's also mental so and you're competing against one person across the uh, the piece so it's you've got to also outwork your uh, you know work, work out your opponent so there's so many things to think about that you want to try to be as relaxed as possible so everything for example physically you're ready mentally you're ready and i think yeah i think the routines are really important i always went through the same mental warm-up the same physical warm-up the same technical warm-up so that Almost when you go onto that piece, you're kind of in uh, computer mode. Uh, in uh, that's yeah. that's um, yeah, where, where you kind of don't have to think. It's it's kind of real time. You know, if you think in real time, it's slow. It's going yeah. to have to be able to shoot it from the brain. You know, and uh, I think that's really important because if you believe in your processes and you believe in your routines, it gives you confidence. And I think it's so interesting. You know. I'm so competitive in everything I do and I want to do the best and provide the best, whether that's, whether that's, you know, with my fencing career, or whether that's with my business, I think, but it's really important to focus on that process because if you, you know, if you're thinking about that outcome, I want to win or I really like to, you know, 
put my fencing classes all over the world. It's great, sure, and it's great to have those dreams, but how? Just by focusing on the here and yeah. now process. And uh, I know you've probably heard that many times, but it couldn't be said enough. Oh, no, completely. But it reminds me of something that the, uh, the coach that we had on, he was a, a football coach of young people, Michael Moore, and he talked a lot about being quite reflective over those routines where the criteria is, did it work? After doing this, did I win? Did I perform? And and judging it based on that. And so building the set of routines that you know are going to lead to performance because they've proven as such. And so it's really fascinating for, 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 for me to hear you say yeah. it's about having confidence in those routines yeah. because you you are relying on them when you move into this kind of in-the-moment mode. No, no, 100%. But I just would like to, sorry to say, correct you on one slight thing in my opinion. Go on. Uh, you said the word... Uh, and I think this is really important. We have to be careful of this when we say that to put the to put the processes in to win. And I think this is the thing because I think we can't control whether we win. And I think this is something that I wish that I learned when I was younger. You can't control uh, if you're going to win or not. You can only control your own efforts. So I think yes. it's interesting. Yes. I understand what you're saying, but you know, you can see did the process work in terms of you were able to give your best effort. Yeah. And it Did I perform? Perform, perform. That's Absolutely. A great, That's great, a great correction. Love yeah. it. I really believe in that because we don't, and especially now I'm working with lots of children, I don't want them to get the mentality is if we win, it was amazing. And if we lose, it was, everything was awful and throw the baby out with the bathroom. That's, uh, Alex, that's the first time our creative co-host has uh, been checked on winning mentality. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. That's um, unacceptable. Alex, um, I think you've, you, you mentioned mental warm-up as if that is the most normal thing in the world, along with a physical warm-up. Um, and a mental warm-up is not something that I think many people are doing. Uh, we had a mental skills coach on a couple of episodes ago, Stephen Feeney, who works uh, in rowing um, and has represented GB himself. Um, and it was a fascinating chat. But just, I think, again, this may be a little bit more individual, but for people going back into work, especially after the lockdown and things like that, I think there is some mental preparation that can be done uh, kind of leading into normality, so to speak, whatever that may look like. Could you just take us through, and maybe it's quite personal to you in terms of what you told yourself, but is there any kind of, uh, could you could you actually go through some of that mental warm up? Yeah, no, of course. And I think it's really interesting because and I want to say another, this is another point is we talk about giving 100% effort. And so I think I was very lucky to work in Team GB with a psychologist called Katie Warner, who was really one of the top psychologists. And she's worked uh, with many sports, rugby, rugby sevens, uh, with fencing, canoeing with gold medalists in Team GB. And she, she really kind of changed kind of my mindset because I used to think, look, if I give 100% physical effort to something, that means that I've done, you know, I, look, if I go out there, I sweat, and I, you know, sweat blood, that means I've given everything. And I think um, she was the first person to kind of make me realize that it actually is about the preparation you do. It, when you say 100% preparation, it means you, in all aspects, in all aspects of your preparation, not just your effort there. And in terms of mental um, prep, I think it's really, and this is why, look, I'm sorry to be talking just about myself as an individual athlete, but there are so many of these skills which 
which we can all use in our lives. And that's what I've really put into our classes. Mm. In It's about the transferable skills from sport, uh, which can use anyone can use in their lives. Now, in terms of mental month, there are, you know, one of the most important things is the biggest, I think, enemy sometimes is yourself. So, for example, before a competition, you wouldn't believe the kind of thoughts that go through athletes' heads and people's heads day to day. We, you know, we, a lot of the time, a lot of athletes end up losing before they even come on the to come to compete because you're thinking oh if i lose this match what's going to happen or you know even if i win what could happen or um so there are so so many insecurities oh i'm feeling tired today i'm not up for this i'm not feeling well and um i think it's important to talk to yourself through those through those kind of let's say because they're not misconceptions. You, it, it's okay to have genuine concerns about things. Look, today I'm feeling tired. I'm not feeling up to it. And it's important to kind of, I always go through those thoughts. So, for example, if I wake up, I feel I feel really tired. And I say, oh, I'm feeling tired today. I can't train, for example. I don't want to train. But it's like, you know, you know, if I physically, technically and mentally warm up, I won't feel tired and focus on the process. Or maybe I have some mental thoughts like, um, oh, I really want to win this competition. If I win this competition, I'm going to qualify for the Olympics or I can I can have that opportunity or can win that thing. So no, that's great to have that dream, but focus on that process on here and now. What are you going to do now? And to, to bring your mind away from any negative thoughts of the past or the future and to focus on the present. And that's why I think it's important. And that's really one skill that I've really tried to use uh, now in, in in my business really to be focusing on the present and also to have my my team also focusing like on the present and to talk about it's really important to talk about the issues not to have it kind of boxed up in inside you, you know? alex um i was listening to a recent podcast on um rich rose uh, podcast which is 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 uh pretty well known and they had a, an ex uh, Navy SEAL on there called Chad Wright who now I believe is like an ultra runner um, and he was just talking about kind of the power of the spoken word and that you know we we say a lot of stuff in our heads but then when we actually say it to someone else it kind of gives it this tangible nature so you know we can feel tired in our minds and just say it to ourselves but then go through our processes but if we kind of say to each other oh mark i'm tired or alex i'm tired it almost gives it like more power um and i think like you said if if we don't have our internal processes we're probably more likely to just say to other people oh i'm tired oh i'm not that confident alex going into this competition which is going to be the worst thing you know that that they can say to themselves so i think like you said having those that mental warm-up that mental preparation is super important and if there is a structure in place that people use internally and then you bring that together as a team then i think you have quite a powerful group of individuals um going into any sort of situation I think you and I, I that's great and actually I think you added something really important there which is I think to externalize some of these thoughts as well. I think that's really important. So just to know when I say my mental warmth, I say it out loud first of all. But yeah. in addition to that I think it's important to have and I think that's when you even in individual sports you talk about a team or um, it could be someone at work it, even if you have a friend that you trust that you can talk about your concerns is really important to have someone that you can speak to it's, a soundboard really to kind of get that out of your system and and it's it's good also to have a and you know that's the thing is that other person doesn't necessarily have to give you the you know the the golden advice they just have to be there to listen to you i think yeah you know? 
Yeah. There's a, there's something to, and I, my wife is a teacher and she used to work in a school that would have their students chant certain uh, school mottos and mantras and, and uh, goals. They had a very, very strong kind of uh, reading ethic there and they would chant about reading and about what they were trying to get out of reading. And it seemed from the outside, from a person who went to a comp in, in you know, Surrey, absolutely bonkers. But the impact that it had <laughs> on the kids and their relationship to what they believed they were in the building for was huge. And that's, that's, that's part of it. If we are going to be a team, if we are going to work together, and we are going to, like you were saying, share that common aim, the process of saying out loud what that aim is allow someone else to if if necessary challenge it and say well that's not quite that what we're going for or to say yes no that's the thing and i'm on board with that otherwise we keep we're keeping it in, inside and we're we are working solo in an environment where we should be working together no a hundred percent and i think you also make a good point that this is not just for i think this is everybody in their life should be everyday lives and it doesn't and it can be the smallest of things because yeah. i mean what you perceive to be small i mean you know it, it, it's really it's just really important for mental especially during this time where there are i think that's one thing that this pandemic has really shown that already i mean i was thinking always myself there are many unknowns in this life many insecurities like you know difficulties it's a difficult life we live sometimes you know and it's really and that's why it's important to work on that that mental stuff and yeah. you know, I like to And it could be it could be a gold medal or it can be a picture of, you know, the Canary Islands on your fridge that says that's where I want to go on holiday this year. That it's just it's it's real and it's out there. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that one I've changed with my company where we are working really at the grassroots level of fencing, um, and I've worked at an elite level. What I've really what you said goal setting is for me it's important to have goal setting for that person what do they want to is what they want to achieve you know and that's the most important thing making proper goal setting absolutely alex um did you just just quickly because i'm gonna i want to move on to your your company and how that was founded but um did you have anything funny in 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 your fencing team that you guys done maybe maybe not all chanting at the same time but (laughs) was there any was there any little things just before performance or just before training or anything like that or is it all very you know switched on and serious you know i think that's what was good you know i i mean what was great about the team event was it was always slightly more relaxed still really competitive but compared to individual we you know it's important to have a bit of a joking around sometimes and having fun to settle the nerves and stuff and it's really nice you know that's what i really my favorite part of fencing was a team event because you know imagine you're fencing on the piste you score the hit you turn around and your team box is behind you you know and that's i used to love that you turn around let's say for example I scored here. I turn around and I can see my team cheering. We're not just cheering, but they can give me advice. You know, I look and even if it's just a, it's a smile or if it's a come on thumbs up, whatever you, you can feel like you've got this team behind you. 
you know i i love that i really just i love that i'm having i'm I'm having uh flashbacks of kind of um you know nadal and and federer and djokovic kind of looking to their looking to their team uh you know in another individual sport um looking to their team and kind of you know celebrating um uh, or in Djokovic's case, he's usually moaning at his team because it's their fault and not his. But 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 yeah, and and I think you know we're doing this uh, via video, and your face really lit up there when you start to talk about your team, yeah. Alex. Um, you can you can sense that passion for being part of a team. So, Alex, uh, we've already gone through a bunch of stuff, and I've already learned a lot from you. Um, so thank you so much. Um, but I really want to kind of dive into inspire on sport um how that came around um who's in that team and what you know what it does really yeah so i was trying to qualify for the olympic games in tokyo so we had the second the last qualification competition was march 2020 and we arrived in anaheim los angeles for the competition on about the 9th of march and then the the 13th of march was the competition and on the 12th of march the day before they cancelled the competition because of the pandemic and that was the so we trained there for a week and then we had to come uh, back to london and it was really interesting obviously as that developed and then they postponed the olympics for next year i was kind of i was always thinking this would be my last i was very unfortunate actually i was the fifth one out of the top uh, there was four people who went to the olympic games in rio and i was actually the fifth one so i missed out by one place so i was it was my last chance to go and i really wanted to, to qualify and i wanted to kind of i had a lot of ideas what i wanted to do afterwards and so obviously there was a postponement for one year and i was like, okay what, what am i going to do so <laughs> I, I have two degrees from university um, in history and politics and i speak quite a few different languages and i thought okay i thought okay it would be can go and uh, get a job here, here 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 of course it was the pandemic and uh, <laughs> wasn't as easy as i thought and i had then i had to sit down in my room and i thought okay what is the what is the biggest influence on my life and i said it doesn't matter about these degrees now it's fencing fencing has shaped who i am today and what you actually hear a lot of the time is i'm sure you heard it you people say okay uh there's so many transferable skills, right? Everyone says. I said, but what have I actually learned? So I sat down and I went through, look, what are the skills that I have learned which have made me who I am and who I can take into the rest of my life? And so I started to look at them. I thought, you know, for example, what does what does fencing, what's given, what can it give you? It can give you, you know, discipline, execution of tactics, teamwork, as I said, organization. There are uh, There's also uh, physical skills such as, agility flexibility you know balance and i said okay what are all these skills and how can i part like you know the, you know if i wanted to pass this on to the next generation you know what, what were they so i kind of wrote them all down and i realized that wow these are these are so many skills that i've i've learned and also of course the ability to travel the world and experience so many different cultures uh so i realized that wow there are so many skills here that people can learn from what i've learned not just me but others and so i spent the next three months writing uh, syllabuses for uh, from the age of three to 18 years old for fencing, but with a specific focus that it was about fencing. For me, sport is an educational tool. So I wanted to really see how can anybody who would take our classes, they would be able to have these transferable skills that they could improve their personal development, their social development, but also help them in academic development. So it was going to be, mm. of course, they would really learn the great technical skills of fencing and they could be a really top fencer, 
But for me, this is where it changed from grassroots, from my elite level mindset was, my idea is whether someone takes our classes for a year, for five years or whatever level they want, they can take the skills from those classes that they can use in the rest of their lives. And for me, that's really Mm -hmm. important. And the second thing I realized was that sport is an amazing educational tool from my traveling. Look, I was able to travel the world. I have so many friends from all over the world and we were able to be united by doing fencing as a sport together. But what it made us realize we have so much more in common, irrespective of where we're from. And I think sport transcends uh, your nationality, your religion, uh, all these kind of things. And so I really believe that sport, especially in a very sometimes divisive world, sport can be a really change for good. And that's what I kind of want to do with my classes in the UK and the world. That's amazing. And Sean and I, as as people who work with young people as uh, as well in our in our in our day jobs, um, it's such an important realization or it was at least for me when I start working with a group of young people in theater and there might be one person in that room who's going to want to do this for the rest of their life but there are like 20 other people in that room who are equally going to get something out of this and I believe that the things that theater provides are valuable things that will make your journey through life better uh, more interesting, make you a person that is is able to access the 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 best that life has. And all I'm doing is offering this shared language with this group of people that they can realize I've got you know I've I've got something inside of me that I love or I'm able to express myself particularly. And I think personally, I'd not really considered that happening in sport especially from someone at an elite level. I know that Sean and I talk about football clubs and young people and how there is a social function and there is an educational function. But it's fascinating to hear it from an elite level now coach and teacher to say, well, actually, and this fits entirely with what you've already said, it's not about putting together a room of people who one of whom is going to get to the Olympics. It's about understanding why what we do in this room is important when we do it. Yeah, and I think that's a really, I think that's a really interesting point. And it's kind of, it's funny because, you know, actually now I'm still competing to qualify for Olympic Games. So actually on a daily basis, Mm. I switch my mindset from elite to grassroots. And it's really interesting because uh, I think that's for me, the beauty is like you say, you want to be, like what you've done through your theatre class, you want to be able to affect as many lives positively as possible. And so if you just focus on an elite aspect, you're focusing on a very small amount of people, but you can actually do such a greater good for so many people. And I think um, I think also one of our key focuses in our classes is the style of teaching. I really think it's important to give the students the tools. So we give students the tools, okay? So it's if they want to go to a higher level in sport, they can because we give them technology. But the point being, whatever they want to do, we provide them with the tools and it's also important to allow the students to find the answers themselves. We give them the tools and they can use it and learn. But I think um, sometimes, you know, I think it's it's a dangerous thing if you're just kind of, I don't want to say the word spoon feeding, but if you're kind of, you know, just almost telling them not just what the moves are, but how to think and how to do it. No, these are the tools and you you can take what you want from that and that improves the learning of the kids. Alex, I think style of teaching is a really important point that you've brought up. The Inspire On 
team uh, is built up of other either current um, elite fencers or ex-elite fencers, um, you know, working at the top level. And I think it's a real skill and not everyone who has represented their country has the ability, you know, this is a cross sports, has the ability to change their mindset to that grassroots educational developmental uh, mindset. Um, and I think that, as I said, not everyone can do it. Um, and, you know, the way you talk about it, I think shows that you have that real passion and, and can switch between the two. But from from someone who is the director of it, is that something that you made clear, as we s- spoke of earlier, that clarity with your other coaches? Because you know, they're going from an elite mindset into working with a four-year-old. So are conversations, do conversations happen around that? And was that very key to your recruitment process, I guess? And and also having champions is good for business. Very true. Is, what yeah. is, is a consideration I'm thinking about. I'd say a couple of points to that because you raised some really interesting points there. I'd say, first of all, what I was really lucky is that I've been able to train with some really great guys for many years, especially now... You know, I'm 27. I feel, I feel, I thought I was young these days. The very young ones coming up now, 18, 19 years old. You're the youngest on this podcast, Alex. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so they've got a lot of young coach. This is interesting, actually. So a lot of young fencers who uh, looked up to me a bit, you know, when I was growing up fencing, they see me fencing. We have a really good bond with them. And um what's also interesting is we have a very um we have a similar understanding of fencing and mm. outlook on well i got quite lucky in that kind of uh, core group of them but the other thing for me was i think this is i i'm all about creating win-win situations and i think uh, i know what it was like to be an elite athlete you know it's not all as rose as you think uh, I was very lucky that, like, okay, I was supported by UK Sport, but that my family was able to support me, you know. And I think a lot of these, a lot of these guys, maybe not as fortunate as me, uh, they find it difficult sometimes financially to keep up with their training. And so, what I we want to do is, my goal, of course, is, is as I explained to you, to um, really make as many people as possible have a positive experience from our class and the kids. But also, I'm able to create. Um, um, economic opportunities for the coaches so mm. they can earn a living so that they can still be able yes. to train and i'm very and i think that's what i'm really happy to be able to do that so a lot of the coaches which we are using are you know current members of the of the british squad and it enables them to be able to you know train in the mornings and then come and coach in the schools in the afternoon but i think you make a good point and this is why about changing the mindset because uh, they have to understand that you know. I am, and I, and this is this is a debate which was we had, and I'll come to that actually in a minute. Uh, horizontal versus vertical management, because I'm not very dictatorial mm. in how I run things. We really have a lot of discussions and we talk about things, and and many times I'm overall, believe it or not. But I'll come to that in a minute. <laughs> um, is, is 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 that you know was the what was our philosophy? You know, are we going to be just just an elite thing or are we going to be open for all? And I think we decided we want to be open for all. And that's why for me it was very important. We have spent a lot of time and effort building our coaching course, which 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 covers preschool, key stage one, two, three, and four, and five, we, uh, following the national curriculum. And 
to make sure that we have a, and also we have a coaching course. We've created a coaching course so that, that, that our coaches must then follow because you may be a top fencer, which is great, but can you be a top coach? So I want to have a consistency of coaching whether wherever you are in the UK or the world where we end up, that there will be a consistency of coaching across the board. I love the idea of looking at a one-on-one sport uh, an event where it's one person versus another person and looking for how I can make this a win-win. How I can have a mindset or how I can have a coaching philosophy or how I can have a competing philosophy where both people are able to walk away with something that classes as a win. After talking about, you know, winning not being important, like what is what is the what is the way in which everyone walks away from this having achieved, having taken its value? out of that out of that event i find that an interesting philosophical approach that i i, I might i might uh, have to look into what the theatrical oh, well, version is. Uh, so don't get me wrong here i love to win <laughs> oh of course of course i am so competitive you don't understand but i think it's it's funny because i just remember when i was competing i wanted to win too much i wanted to win too much i affected mm. the result I, but you know i also think it's you make a good point i think uh, you know that in a competition, there can only be one winner. That sounds so like that sounds such a defeat. They're going to be one first person, but ultimately, it's about it's about your goal. So, for example, if we have a student, okay, and they really just would love to, they would love they're working on some moves in attack and defense. And what's a beautiful thing about coaching is, look, you know how how we work in in fencing is you 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 practice, you learn your new move could be a move in attack, for example. You practice it in the training, you practice it with your coach, and then it's about, and then in, when, in your practice matches and training, trying to execute it, and then obviously the big thing is, can you execute that in the competition? So even, it, it really depends how you judge a success. So on that basis, if I'm working on an attack, or one of our students is working on an attack, for me, a success is if I see the progress of that child, you know, that yeah. they, they, they work on that in the training and they can execute that. And that that is, and it, and that's the thing, uh, Mark. Like you said, with some of your theatre students, that person may not become a Olympic champion, but that skill of working on something in training and being able to then execute at the competition—that skill is what you take away for the rest of your life. Yeah, and that's full of that, and that's full of these little sub skills: the learning how to learn, the learning how to evaluate, the learning how to reflect, the learning how to uh, set a next step. All of those things that you need, whether you're a fencer or a theater person or a landscape gardener yeah absolutely um alex i think it's really important there as well because you know i know a lot of people um from a kind of from the football uh industry and you know a lot of people want to try and set up coaching academies um you know coaching businesses um and a big part of it i think that they're kind of missing is that kind of coaching philosophy element so they may have their philosophy but the the ability to impart that structurally um and philosophically into their coaches so obviously we all have different personalities as coaches but overall there needs to be a general kind of value system in terms of what we're trying to get out of this and i think that can be the the hardest part because being an excellent coach is one thing, but can you have an academy of 10 excellent coaches? You know, and I think once you've nailed that, um, you, you can really produce 
um, any level. You know, you can produce a, a grassroots uh, young person who just wants to enjoy it for, for the fact of enjoying it all the way up to elite. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think there's two points I want to make to that. The first point is when I have when I was looking at fencing provision in the UK, I re- I, 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 in, in the main, there are some good coaches, but in the main, I was quite disappointed. And uh, I've actually made it one of my things that it's not for me to go and tell X school, well, I, I think I could do your, your job, the job better. It's, it's, it's hopefully one day they'll come to ours and ask us for, for our classes. But um, what I don't like sometimes in, in, in sports provision, coach provision, is that said coach, especially sometimes in fencing, would turn up to the school and say, okay, today with his kit, I'm going to coach this. Uh, you know, whatever comes in his head, are going to coach, and I think that's, I think that's really uh, dangerous because I think you, a there's there's no there's no long term kind of goals for the kids and kind of uh, what are you doing about the development? There's no there's no clear consistent plan for the kids, for the coach, for the for the parents, for the school, and I think you need. So that was one thing that I kind of noticed. So that's when I realised I really want to work hard on my syllabus, and. Uh, to make sure that it's just consistent, that the kids know exactly these are the goals they're working on. And, and, and I think, look, sport should be like any other subject at the school. We should, you know, for example, if you have, and I know you guys do that in normal P curriculum, and we need that also for fencing. We need it to be very clear. These are your goals. These are your learning objectives and so forth that need to be finished by the year. The second, the second point is uh, what you mentioned about coaching. There are some really great coaches. But the problem is they can only coach in so many schools in a week. So it's kind of give a man a fish, he eats for the day. Teach a man uh, to fish, he uh, he eats for a lifetime. And I think that's the thing you've got to think about it. This is, it's all, we all, at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about knowledge. And it's about, to be successful is about knowledge. So it's about how can we disseminate that knowledge as possible. That's why for me it was really important to also work on our coaching course so that we can have a consistency of coaching throughout. So that one coach who has that knowledge, you can make it 10. And you're right, it's important to have individuality of coaching. We're not saying we want robots, but we want we want the core uh, technical uh, and, and also uh, teaching pr- uh, principles to be to be consistent. I think that's perfectly said, Alex. Um, and, you know, it's great to hear that someone who does have, um, you know, a fencing academy, um, you know, coaching academy, uh, is that you guys have thought about that process and put a lot of time and effort into it. Um, I think that leads us very nicely into coaches make coaches. So this is a section of our of our podcast where we like to ask our guests about um, anyone who's kind of inspired them or kind of motivated them um, or they've just learned off basically in terms of how they go about their day-to-day kind of workings. So yeah, we're looking forward to your Coaches Make Coaches, Alex. We're kind of looking forward to when we interview some of the coaches that you're working with where they start naming you, I'll be honest. I'm expecting <laughs> your name to come up in next year's podcasts. Uh, but yeah, who are the coaches that made you? So I, maybe this will be a boring answer, but I'm going to have to say my coach. So so this is a really an amazing man. He's, 70, he's my coach still. He's 72 years old. He is a Yoda, a Yoda of uh, fencing. And he's, <laughs> you know, he single-handed made British fencing into a strong fencing nation. And, you know, he, he has a very interesting story. He fled uh, communist Poland to come to, to, come to the uh, UK. He did one Olympics himself, but missed out on another one because that was in Moscow in uh, 1980. Um, he, uh, 
and he he was I said he's been the coach for Team GB for eight Olympic Games, and he is, of course, first and foremost, an amazing technical coach, unbelievable technical coach. How we work with him, but what I love about him is kind of his philosophy. He's so positive. He has such a positive mindset, and it's really interesting because. There are many ways to success in life, as we all know. There are many different ways of coaching, and it's interesting because he comes from this Eastern Europe, and Eastern European coaches are traditionally known in fencing to be very hard, very negative, very you know kind of disappearing, this kind of thing. And he is really the opposite. And I I like this coach make coach. This interesting question because it reminds me of one film I watched. Um, called Meet the Fockers. People might know this one. I don't know. With Ben Stiller and Robert. <laughs> yeah. Now, why the hell? Why the hell am I mentioning this 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 film? Because there is a scene in this film where there is a baby crying in the cradle, and you've got Belba Streisand and uh, Dustin Hoffman are the good parents. Okay, and you know they want to go in and hug the baby and give it love and give it this with anything. <laughs> And you've got Robert De Niro, who is this, you know, he's like, obviously, all those gangster films. He's like, no, let the baby cry. He's got to learn to, like, cry by himself. And and the thing is, I can tell you, we in, see it in fencing, many other sports, that that other way works. It does work, uh, that you can be negative and really hard on your, and, you, and you can be successful, but you're going to lose a lot of people. You're going to lose a lot of uh, people who could have got something out of the sport and not. And so what I love yeah. about Jemek's uh, philosophy as a coach is he always looks for the positives. Okay, and that's and for me that's also very important when you're in the zone. In first of all, in the competition because you don't want someone to say, "Oh, that was a rubbish touch. That was a rubbish point." No, so okay, go to the next one. And one thing I love that he says, he he, he says sometimes when you're fencing, one point, Alex, one point, and I like this. You know, focus on that present one touch, and it sounds so simple, but it really triggers my brain back to that. But it's not just in the competition, it's also outside the competition, you know. I think it's, when you're up, it's really great and easy, to, you know, it's great to be a coach, well done this thing. It's kind of when you're when you're down in the dumps and you need picking up, and I think that's when it's great to have someone with a positive mindset like that who says, yeah. look at the positives, look, like for example, in my way of thinking, I don't like the word, uh, like positives and negative. I like positives and areas of improvement. I don't want to, I think it's all nice. important. In terminology, same thing when we do tactics. A lot, for example, with fencing, someone does one move. They say, "Don't, don't do that counterattack. Don't do that." No, you have to. I think it's important to give positive. Give a. Don't say, "Don't do that." I think that even reinforces. Do it again. It's like, what can yeah. you do? Do this, you know. So I, 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 that's really rubbed off on me. That positive mindset. Yeah, it's it's huge because it fits it fits with what you were talking about the the business philosophy there so massively that if we're in the business of whittling it down to a fine point, then sure, being being brutal, harsh, negative, chopping it down will get the job done. But that's where you're only focused. Your only interest is that fine point. But Marcus, but I there's a lot of other people come along. I want to say one thing, it can, it can get the job done. Yeah, it can get absolutely. The, the point is, even elite athletes will be turned off by that as well. And, that, and, and yeah. I, Look, I'm not against necessarily, like, but I think that's what's also important is, I think you have to be also, as a coach, a good reader of personality and of, of the mm. and tailor your coaching to, to the needs of that fencer. So, what do they need now? Yeah. yeah what do they need? Maybe, maybe some can accept a bit more 
more, let's say, positive criticism, but, but some will not be able to take it and, and very adversely. So you have to also tailor it to the, the needs of the, of the students. It's like Sean trying to get me to do press-ups. <laughs> yeah, put it in your interest and you'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do you know what, Alex? Um, I, I'm really pleased to hear you say that that's the approach um, that your coach has taken. And, you know, eight Olympic Games is, is, is incredible um, because I do think there is a misconception that, you know, Olympic level, elite level sport just is just these robots that go out Cut there to perform. And, and yeah. Yeah. And Cobra you know, Kai. Ex- exactly. Um, I've not, I've not watched it, but, but I know your reference, Mark. Um, but um, yeah. And, and, and it was, it was reminding me of um, Dina Asher Smith, um, who I was listening to uh, an interview with her recently and her coach, John Blackie, who I believe um, has been her coach since she was a teenager, you know, and a lot of the stuff she was saying kind of aligns with what you've just said there, Alex, knowing the, the, the right triggers, knowing when to say the right thing, um, you know, to the point where just before, um, you know, a race, uh, he, he comments on her eyeshadow. And, uh, you know, oh, I like your eyeshadow today. That what, what color is that just before a race, just to kind of alleviate any of the pressure, almost to say the work has been done. Now it's time to go and enjoy it. Uh, and I think positivity will always win over negativity um, when it comes to coaching. But like you said, Alex, you know, there's there's different ways to skin a cat, so to speak. And, uh, yeah. you know, also it's- at what cost? We're working with children. That's the very good cost I, did, I think that's a really good thing i think and i think that's the thing you know even at the elite level uh you, you're right to what cost or what mental health aspects of it yeah and you see that you actually you actually look at that now in a lot of uh and not in, in many different countries uh, you you see uh, the negative effects of being involved in a really high elite performance program you've seen that in cycling tgb cycling um, how the pressures of, of of being needing to perform it really it's it's really tough and it and because sometimes and that's the problem is you know it's it's you, you make a good point yes we want to win Olympic medals as, as Team GB and as sport but you also got to think of at what cost are we just a factory where you put a thousand athletes in and, and going to churn out to get ten what happens to those other nine hundred ninety athletes you know what in their lives, how are they going to be affected by that? Whereas if they actually can come out with a positive, if they can come out of that process, they may not have gone to Olympics. I haven't gone to Olympics yet. My burning desire, I hope I go, but I haven't been, you know, and but I, if I can come out of this process with a positive experience, not feeling like, oh, if I didn't make the Olympics and feel so negative about it, I can pass on my knowledge to the next generation. We have to be careful of that, that we don't just, all the other athletes become kind of, kind of factory waste, you know? We want to... Yeah. Use that Absolutely. story and pass it on to the next generation. Uh, so that's um, that's amazing. And I'll, I'll see if I can find uh, a way to point people towards where they can find out more about uh, about Yemek because he sounds like a fascinating guy. Um, the last thing we ask our guests, and we'll, 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 we've been talking for ages, uh, the last thing we ask our guests is just if there's anything they want to plug or anything they want to draw people's attention to, uh, where they can find out more about your work, where they can find out more about things that you want them to know about. Uh, how do we find out more about fencing and about uh, Inspion? Well, if you well if you could follow us on uh, Instagram on Inspion Sports, at Inspion Sports, uh, we're going to be actually, I've currently... Uh, interviewed it's very interesting quite a, a couple of uh, national also olympic champions in fencing 
and we've got some talks coming out and so we can learn much more about the lives of elite athletes and all the information on in our classes and stuff. So, yeah, if you follow us in Aspiring Sports and uh, follow the journey, whichever age you are, we'll have we'll have a course for you. And I, uh, <laughs> Three-year-olds sure. with swords, everyone. <laughs> and and uh, we don't just do 18, for all ages. And I hope that... I hope that have you guys tried fencing before yourselves? Well, I hadn't bought it up, but I spent three years doing stage combat at drama school. So I was I'm trained in not hitting you, but making it look like it really hurt. Great, great. No, uh, that's that's good. Well, you can te- you can teach me. To it is, su- it is super yeah. fun. The sword the sword play was super fun, and it it just it it may it makes you feel so kind of on your toes and and actually so graceful and so connected to your body like so connected between your mind and your body that uh, it's 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 an incredibly mindful process so it's actually a super fun way to get because you can't be not in the present so i i i, I would encourage anyone to try it for that well look i look forward to, to you can have a battle of the podcast um, <laughs> see who's gonna win Oh, I've got, I'd like, I can't do a press up, but I, I will be able to parry the hell out of <laughs> Oh you God, I, I'm worried. I'm worried. Um, Alex, thank you so much. The work that you're doing is, is awesome. Um, and the fact that, you know, you are giving back, I know it's a, it's a business, but you're giving back that knowledge, um, that you've learned over, you know, almost, uh, you know, 17 years, I think you said, um, earlier, which is, is a huge amount of, of knowledge to be passing on to a younger generation and hopefully keeps the sport of fencing really strong and really healthy uh, in this country as we as we do move into into more Olympic Games. Um, but as you said, also just to kind of inspire and help young people at a grassroots level. So thank you so much for your time. That was really great. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you soon. And if we weren't talking to Alex from uh, all the way over in Italy, I think that probably could have gone on for another hour, don't you reckon? Definitely, yeah. No, that was a really good <laughs> chat um, and quite eye-opening. Uh, I didn't know much about the sport beforehand, so I think for for all of us out there who are fencing amateurs, um, hopefully we've <laughs> uh, picked up some tips and tricks. And uh, yeah, it went a few different directions, uh, but... Uh, all really interesting yeah from the from the outset i mean we both jumped on that idea that that alex was talking about that the club that was near him just offered the best possible opportunity to to become an elite fencer and so that kind of tying together of circumstance and opportunity and kind of grabbing that opportunity whether that first move is getting lucky or not like just how important it is to to find yourself around those resources absolutely absolutely yeah and you know there's a couple of authors out there that both of us uh, are quite interested in Matthew Syed and uh, Malcolm Gladwell who kind of touch on this uh, and Matthew Syed as we spoke about in the in the episode is very much someone who came from that kind of opportunity on his doorstep that he took full advantage of but it's really funny I think especially in athletics it does seem as though, and some of the Olympic sports, it does seem as though that situation has, has happened to a mm. lot of athletes where, you know, there's a running club down the road or there there's an athletics tra- track nearby or someone comes into their school and then they kind of take it up as an after school club and then it turns into something a bit more serious after that. Yeah. Like opposed to kind of the, you know, no one really gets picked up from the football pitch anymore 
you know, yeah. at sort of 12, 13, because it just doesn't work like that. You know, you're getting picked up at six years old because your parents have brought you to an, uh, you know, uh, an elite environment already where you get seen and then Chelsea come and find you and then they put you in somewhere. It's a, uh, it's really different, but um, but really interesting. What I love about that, though, and what I love about what Alex is doing, because, of course, those are the stories we're going to hear, because nobody's interviewing the guy who didn't make it to the Olympics. Nobody's interviewing the guy who gave up when he was 15 because his club shut down. Uh, so Very we're true. going to hear the stories of, of success. But if opportunity is important, the idea that Alex is offering that opportunity as widely as possible is an incredible thing because yes he might have landed in the one place in the country at the right time to advance his fencing career he's now trying to place that opportunity in front of as many people as possible and that is that is huge because if it is about having that thing in front of you and i believe it i I believe he's right i think the opportunity is important i think there is a mindset to be looking for the opportunities around you that we need to coach in young people so that they're imagining the possibilities of of turning the next corner but unless they're turning the next corner and the thing that will take them to the next level is there they're always going to be stymied so that alex is taking his expertise his skill the benefits of his opportunity and spreading it around is a game changer in terms of of giving young people the chance to find the thing that they love or to find the thing that they excel at yeah absolutely and you know not all elite athletes can do that and I think that we touched on that in the episode and he definitely has the mindset that you know he's happy to start at grassroots and kind of try and build these athletes up um and and not Mm. all of them will want to be elite not all of them will want to go on to to olympics some of them will just want to pick up the basics of the sport see the elements of fitness and 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 social social aspects of of the sport and and leave it as that but two things i want to pick up on which maybe we didn't in the episode so one like you just said there putting yourself in the room so i think if we can teach young people from an early age to put yourself in the room and not be scared of of what that brings i think opportunity then like you said kind of lands in front of you but you've kind of engineered it so to yeah speak. you're looking you're looking for it you're imagining it could be there rather than looking at your toes and missing stuff that's whizzing by you absolutely i like that looking at your toes and the second thing is I think a lot of this would would seem less like luck if, you know, within a sort of five, 10 mile radius, there were maybe more clubs, more funding, more youth centres, more football pitches, more sports halls that were more accessible to people. places you can try stuff out for the first time. Absolutely. Rather than like stumbling across it or your parents having to kind of, you know, bring you an hour away to to certain locations, Mm. which me growing up, you know, I certainly had to do, you know, I I played all of my youth football in East London. So I was picked up by one of the one of my friends, Nans, and brought over to East London to Hackney Marshes every weekend to play my football. One, because it was a good standard. It was a good level and a good setup. But two, that's where, you know, the majority of, of, of football was taking place, not necessarily on my doorstep. So we need more things in, in, in local areas to kind of allow for, for us to continue to be good at sports at a kind of international level because there's just more of us doing it. So we'll see if that happens. Yeah, and it's, it's why someone like Alex doing it is important as well or anyone who has achieved a level either and it doesn't have to be elite but it has to be something in their event or their sport or their activity or achieve that level in coaching for that sport or activity because like 
I run I run a, a, a youth group. We're a youth theatre group. We find ourselves occasionally having to do something like filmmaking and I will, uh, I'll do my best job at it, but I won't be the person that the filmmaker in that group, the kid that is destined to become Spielberg, I won't be the person that can offer them the excitement or the, the, the proper taste. And so you need the people who are good at it to reach out and get involved in grassroots stuff because... It's that aspiration. It's the aspiration it? and it's, it's the proper taste, you know? Seeing it. It's like going and having yeah. a going and having the, the gourmet version rather than the McDonald's version of learning how to play football. Mark, don't don't put yourself in the McDonald's bracket. I'm certainly not. Oh, I'm gourmet in many things. I'm just McDonald's movie making. I, I'm a Nando's coach, medium. <laughs> um, but occasionally extra hot. Sometimes. Depends on the score and how the team's doing, I guess. But no, and also I think, you know, when we look at, you know, at the moment, it's kind of big movement for women and just looking at kind of what industries they're in. And it's kind of that same thing as like, if we see it, then like we can do it. So I think the same goes for kind of young people wanting to go into different sports. If they can see kind of athletes and, and movie makers, you know, in, in that industry, if they can see it and they can actually have them in the room uh, and can have a conversation with them and ask them questions. Yeah, so just that aspiration of people being able to kind of see the thing in front of them that they want to do, um, you know, and in our school, you know, I think our kind of media department are quite good at having people in from the industry and I always think it makes a massive difference because it's all well and good a teacher saying it who you see in your classroom every day but I know as a as as someone when when I was in school kind of when we did have those external people come in it kind of just it kind of hit differently uh like it it felt a little bit more real um than the teacher telling me who I kind of see every day um and so yeah I think if we can do more of that uh the better um across the board you know all industries really these are the access points and so many of us when we reflect back on like who we are as adults we can track back to those kind of first access points to the things that we grew passionate about and and how we encountered them and yeah throwing as many of them out into the world as possible at a really you know at a good quality level but it requires funding it requires resources it requires people to think it's important uh, and like we'll champion that until the cows come home absolutely i think um i think the 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 other point uh that i kind of took out of this episode as as a kind of main theme was so obviously this is a podcast about teams but it was just interesting because for me going into it i kind of saw fencing as something quite individual you know you're up there right. against one other person and alex did kind of go into the psychology behind you know just facing the person in front of you but also that there are team events. Having that squad that behind you. Are, yeah. That thing when he was describing like turning around after after scoring a point and just knowing that you've got three people there who are amped for that point as much as you are. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And that was really interesting to me. But then on the flip side of that, it's also the the kind of group of individuals going in to try and make the squad kind of pre the events you know and what that looks like and you know they're basically your competition Mm. up until you become a team and and i thought that was really interesting as well so no alex speaks really passionately about the sport and and gracefully about it because you know to be to imagine that you're fifth place 
where there's a squad of four to compete in the Olympics or the British Championships or whichever one he was up for for that one. Uh, like you need to, just to keep coming back you need to have some drive definitely that persistence yeah and, per- and perseverance for sure so yeah and you know I, ho- I hope to kind of get a flavor of fencing uh, at our at our workplace if possible with with Alex and maybe do some work with him so you know I'm kind of looking forward to to seeing how that goes really but yeah no um, really great to chat to Alex well if you let me put on a Shakespeare play we can have like a Romeo and Juliet sword fight in the middle that you can excellent sounds perfect (laughs) that's collaboration everyone (laughs) Uh, well that's that's uh, it from uh, me and Sean for today I hope you enjoyed listening to Alex Um, we uh, hope that we can get him back on as like an Olympic champion in a few years time because like it sounds like he's is still competing at elite level and that's really exciting to have someone who's who's right up there at the moment and uh, super inspiring as well to, like we said, hear what he's doing for young people in terms of getting them involved in the sport. We love it when people reach out to us. We love it when people give us feedback so you can uh, let us know what you thought of today or of any of the episodes by uh, adding us on Twitter or Instagram at noipodcast or leaving a review on uh, iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast, or you can uh, connect with Sean or I on LinkedIn. We will put links to all of those ways of reaching out to us in the show notes. Thank you, everyone, for listening. All that's left is for me to say uh, goodbye from Sean. Goodbye, Mark. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes.